everyone. Welcome to the Pelican Project Podcast. I'm Crystal. And I'm Kelly. We just want to welcome you, invite you to pull up a chair and join in this week's discussion. So we are, here we are at the end of May, and I don't know about you, uh, moms and dads out there, but as the school year comes to a close, it feels like this mad dash of events. Mm-hmm. It's insanity. Yeah. Yeah. Like it feels like the beginning of the year on crack cocaine. <laughs> right. We assume. <laughs> Not that I would know, obviously, but I mean, I hear it's crazy. Right. Yeah. It's just yeah. insane. And it's like there's this exhaustion because you've already, and there's not the anticipation to jump into a new year. There's the anticipation to jump into summer. Yes. You know, I know teachers were feeling it. They're exhausted too, but right now we have, first of all, as military families, it's PCS season. So moving trucks are surrounding the house, which is making me so sad because some of my beloved friends are leaving, which is always hard. And then we have first Holy communion in my daughter's school. So you have these events for like the, the younger sacraments, but then we also are getting graduation invitations. And then tomorrow is prom for one of my girls. So we have all of that being planned and she's going with a group of friends. So we're trying, you know, we're trying to get special and all the friends are coming over. So you have all these different age groups and whatever age group they're in, they have a particular thing that's happening at the end of the year. And it just all collides at one time. Yes. It's, it's crazy. It's, and then Shelby had, I think her age group right now, she doesn't have any of the sacraments or any of like the prom, but she's in the, we're moving up. We're just yes. in our freshman year. We got finals. Do we not have finals? What's going on? Yes. It's, it's learning it all. It's doing it all for the first time and figure trying to navigate it all. So yeah, it's been interesting. And she, she was super excited and I'll brag for just a minute, but yeah, she was super excited to uh, have made it through the final semester and be exempted from her finals. Like that was her goal. That's so, <laughs> She's that's like, so huge. Because, and I'm, I'm cool with that policy for the freshman year because she gets very anxious about that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Like a test that would encompass the entire semester and it would it might do her in. I'm just, I'm just saying, but, um, she worked really hard and she, she had scores that kept her from having to do that. So that's awesome. She did a really, had a really, it was a good freshman year. Good freshman. That's year. so good. I know. That's neat. I'm like, I don't, awesome. I don't recall it being like that for me, but no, <laughs> she did no, a good job. No. She worked really hard. So this is her, technically her last day of school today. Today. Today is her last day of school, which is crazy because it looks so different than any of the other years. Whereas, you know, it was like the normal last day of school and they'd give you a half day. And we had, you know, the whole thing. um, Every time there was a half day, we would head out to the bookstore and we'd sit at the little cafe at the bookstore and have a treat and get a new book. And that was that was always something that we did. But because today is not technically the last day of school, there are kids who still have finals. But this is the last day she's expected to be there. She'll be there for the full day. And she's like, it just, it doesn't feel like the last day. No, that's because kind of, it's not kind that same like you know? Yeah. It's yeah. Weird. Anticlimactic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's. So the big question is, 
does she still get to go to the bookstore at some point yes, and get her reading a new book for summer? Absolutely. Books are definitely a thing in my house, much like yours. Um, she is very much like her dad where just books are, books are a love language. Whereas some people, yes, exactly. Where some kids may be like, oh my gosh, you got me a book. If and I took my son, my son's last day of school, I was like, we're going to go to the bookstore, <laughs> throw himself from the moving car. Nope. It's free. No. She enjoys it. She it's enjoys so fun. It. No, I love it. I I would enjoy it too. I think some of my kids would enjoy it. Not all of them. Our end of the school year tradition is when they get out, we wait till dad's off of work. Usually he comes with us. Not always, you know, that he's not always around. Um, we go out to ice cream. We get an ice cream sundae. And it's just that collective, like a deep breath and you're entering into something. You know, I, I know, you know, you if you're going through your Instagram feed or your Facebook feed and there are some parents that are like, oh my gosh, it's summer. My kids are home. Like, what am I going to do? I have to entertain them. Okay. First of all, you don't have to entertain them. And second of all, I really love when my kids are home. They drive me nuts. And there will be some times when I'm just laying in bed, like, wow, this is just pure chaos in the morning, more so than it needs to be. But I really do love it because I know it's not going to last and you need to like savor those moments. I love that you don't have to hustle and bustle in the morning. I love, you know, I just like being with my kids. So, And we're glad to be able to do that. There are some people not in that situation, but I am with you. There are parents who are like, oh my gosh, it's summer and have already marked the start of the school year on their calendar for next year. I am not that way. I am having your home. I was that mom for a while that, um, you know, like, as a military spouse, just depends on where you live and what season of life you're in, where you're working or how you're working or whatever. But when I was working outside the home over the summer, my husband's deployed, it was having to then pay for daycare, even though it broke my heart because I wanted to do all the summer things with them. And I was putting them into daycare early in the morning and going to work and then picking them up from daycare and going back home. That's so hard too. So for if you're that mom, that family right now that's struggling on what that's going to look like or how you're going to afford it or just... We're praying for you because that's a lot. It's, it's hard. Lot. We know that's hard. Absolutely. In our prayers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really lucky this summer. I, you know, we just work from home. You know, work. Work. Work from home. Okay. Which Volunteer. Is <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is its own thing because then you're, you're trying to explain to the particularly littles that you have is I, I actually can't do that right now, Darla. I know I'm home and I look like I'm here. But, but I can't do that right now. I'll, we'll do that this afternoon. I need a couple of hours here to just get the day's do task done. And, yeah. yeah. And so what that looks like is, is carving out, you know, the kids are a little bit older, you know, they're eight and 10, the little, so they sleep in a little bit. I mean, when I say sleep in, I say seven o'clock, right. they're awake. So if I can wake up, you know, real, real early, 435, I can get some time in of working. You just have to find the hours because you right. don't, you know, and then because yeah, and when they go to no. bed and, <laughs> and when they go to bed and then when the sun doesn't go down until, Oh, about one in the morning for whatever <laughs> <Right>. reason, <laughs> like not we can't helpful. go to bed. It's not down yet. The sun will never go down in the summer. Right. right? Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was so fun. Just an adjustment. 
No, wait. Yeah. She's, she says now, I love having my children home. At the end of the month, the next podcast, a few podcasts from now, we'll check back with you, Kelly, and we'll see how you're doing. <laughs> right? I'll be skipping to the store buying back to school supplies. Oh, Absolutely. goodness. So yes, that's the what family life supposed to be. It teaches you the patience. Opportunities to practice patience. Yes. So this week, we are jumping into the masculine genius, which I'm excited about because you don't hear a whole lot about the masculine genius Mm -mm. or ever. Ever would be more (laughs) realistic. Yeah. Um, I also am very excited about this. You know, um, I think we in recent years, especially with JP2, we've spoken a lot about the gift of the feminine, especially, you know, combating this prevalent complaint, which holds no weight, but it's just a common complaint that the church is just, you know, a a patriarchal system, right? So I think JP2 gave so many gifts to the church with um, the the many words and documents and time he gave to unpacking what the feminine was and the beauty of the feminine genius, which, which truly was a gift and the understanding and breaking down the complementarity between the masculine and the feminine and the necessity for the both and, you know, his theology, of the body and all of these gifts to the church revealing God's plan for love and life and what that looked like. Um, with with these two genders that God created. He created them male and female. And that's been lovely. But in doing that and also coming off of, I'd say, you know, 1960s on, we had the sexual revolution. Then we had, you know, the church giving us these gifts about what, what the feminine is and, and what theology of the body is and talking truly about contraception and, and the necessity of marriage and all of these details that go into how men and women are supposed to complement one another and not tear down one another, really. We lost so much of our understanding of what the masculine is. And now today's culture, really, it's one of two things. It's either the masculine is portrayed as, you know, this uh, toxic machismo where he is ignorant and he uses his, his brute you know, this caricature of this, this brute, you know, ox. Domineering. Yeah. Domineering bully, or, you know, like we've seen in TV shows over the past 30 years uh, or 20 years, maybe you have the dad, the man who's just a total bumbling boob that can't get out of his own way. That doesn't have a spine or can make a decision. And mom just leads the house and rules the roost. And so we have these discussions, Sad. I mean, disgusting projections of what a man is. And then our kids in our entire lifetime, and even myself, have been raised with this, this breakdown of, of what the man is. Obviously, it's a it's a total distortion of what the masculine is. So we don't often have the opportunity to talk about the gift of the masculine genius, the gift of God's design for what the masculine is and what the feminine genius is supposed to be complementary to. So today and for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what God's design is for the masculine, the expectation of man 
in family life, in community life, in relationship, and just how he was designed as, as a human being who was biologically male. And the way we open it up as the Pelican Project is we really hone in on the words of St. John the Baptist and his prayer, of course, was he must increase, but I must decrease. And that beautiful prayer of St. John the Baptist really gives us a lens through which we can understand what it means to be truly male as Christ. So when God sent us his only son, he chose to send us Jesus Christ, his son, as son, as male. He didn't send us a daughter. He didn't send us this like, you know, quasi-human that's, you know, this half human, half divine. He is 100% human, 100% divine. And in his perfect humanity, he came to us as a biological male. And so when we talk about, you know, Thomas Kempis wrote The Imitation of Christ, and and we talk about, you know, the whole work of the Christian life is conforming ourselves to Christ, to walking in his, you know, putting our shoes in his sandals and walking the life of Christ, imitating who he is, his love, his virtue, his sacrifice. For men to follow Christ is a profoundly beautiful walk because he is male. You know, for us, we walk in the footsteps of Christ and we learn how to do that in a uniquely feminine way. And and that's the gift of Mary, which we talked about many weeks last week. But this week, we have to recognize that Jesus Christ was the perfect male. He must increase, but I must decrease. And that's what conforming ourselves to the life of Christ looks like specifically for men. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about, Crystal, you're going to read that the different um, kind of bullets that we have on, on what we feel defines man and God's design for the male and, and kind of unpack it. Okay. So what is a man? He is a human person, body and soul, who is created in God's image and likeness. It is through him the fatherhood of God is revealed to the created world. Yeah. So right there, man, you know, Jesus Christ, of course, came to us as, as the only begotten son. But in that, all men share in the fatherhood of God. They are supposed to love with the father's heart in union and conformity with the father's heart. By nature, the father is the creator. He leads, he initiates. That's who he is. He is the, you know, He is, is the point where everything begins, right? I mean, God, of course, has no beginning. He has no end, but creation began in real time. We, you know, he stepped into there. We have this dynamic of space and time, and it was the father, the creator that put that into motion, whatever that looked like. And however, however that happened is described in Genesis He's the initiator. And so any man who comes into this world, he is supposed to love with the father's heart in a really unique way. And and that certainly is evident just just when you look at, you know, if we look at the biology of of what, you know, to a man and a woman come together and what that beginning of life looks like, it is the sperm that goes to the egg, 
right? It is that initiation. If we want to get, you know, very biological about it from, from the cellular level up very beginning from the very beginning, we have man as the initiator, the creator. Um, Does that mean that woman does not have an integral, necessary and huge part? Absolutely not. You know, when you think about just the biology of it, absolutely not. It's impossible. Man cannot fully live as himself without the complementarity of the female. We can see that in the biology, you know, and of course it goes much, much beyond that. But I think the other thing that's really important in that first, that first piece that we unpack, we just say he's a human person that is biologically male. He is body and soul. He is a man, not just in his body, but body and soul. He is a union. Yes. Um, And that's so important. We started that way with the feminine. We have to start that way with the masculine. You are not just your body. There's not this dualism in our nature. We are one. Soul are not separate. They are. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So there's, there, there can't be confusion in terms of, I don't feel, I feel like I'm in the wrong body. No, you are 100% in the right body. There is perhaps a cross that you're carrying where you are suffering with some confusion as to who God created you to be. And that of course deserves great, you know, empathy and compassion and prayer. And, but that's a different conversation than, oops, we got, we got two competing things going on here. It's impossible. It's impossible. He is son. He is called to live the image of Christ in perfection, obedience, virtue, and sacrifice. Yeah, I I really love this one. You know, the gift of the son is his obedience to the father. You see that throughout the entirety of Christ's ministry. It is impossible you know, is there any impossibility? I don't know. You know, but the son cannot, will not, would not, could not take one breath outside the will of his father. There's an obedience there. And that obedience stems back to him knowing and understanding that the father wills and desires his absolute perfect good. He is absolutely perfectly goodness, truth, beauty, and he wills all of it all the time. We see that in Mary, that she was completely obedient to the father. She was completely obedient to what God was calling her to. It's very similar. It's the exact same thing, the obedience of the son. This is that beautiful relationship of the father and son in perfect union with one another. So that is- 100% trust, 100% trust. yeah. Right, 100% trust. It's, you know, I- I came to do the will of my father, you know, and, and whatever that is, I trust that he wills my perfect good. So as Christ is, you know, walking his passion in perfect will of the father, it, he at any point, yes, theoretically at any point could have said, yeah, no, no. But remember at the last supper or, you know, during his passion, he says, Lord, if, if this cup can pass for me, please, that would be great. This is going to be terrible. But if it's your will, let it be done. You know, that is the call of sonship. And um, every single male is called to be and to walk in the perfect obedience like Christ did with our Heavenly Father and, and do it in a radically 
perfect way. You know, everyone's like, oh, you know, no one's perfect, but we're called to perfection. It is impossible without the grace of the Holy Spirit. And so that brings me to to one point that we didn't mention. <laughs> um, this is coming up. We have just had Pentecost, right? When this releases, we have just had Pentecost. And I think that's so powerful that we're starting this conversation about the masculine. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in such um, an intimate way. It's you know truly the birthday of the church, and without the grace of the Holy Spirit, without the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, it is impossible to live out this perfect obedience as Son because of our sinful nature you know, the concupiscent. So it's only through the gift of the Holy Spirit that our, the men in our life, our husbands, our sons, our uncles, grandfathers, friends, priests can walk in this perfect obedience for God's will in their life. Absolutely. He is the passage through which the person of Christ is made present before his earthly kingdom. I think that's super powerful. It is so powerful. And if you compare the two that we that we did last week, last week, last month, you know, when we talked about the feminine, she is the passage by which all human life moves first, right? There is no human person that has come into this world without going through the womb of a woman. On the other side of that, it is through the man that the person of Christ makes himself tangibly present within his kingdom in, in, in the priesthood, we only receive the sacramental life, the actual sanctifying grace, the life of God. We receive that through the sacraments and we can only do so through a man who has been anointed, ordained, taken holy orders and is acting in persona Christi. I mean, that's so powerful that, that he is the passage through which we receive that sacramental, I mean, grace, that, you know, divine life. And then the, the human woman, the biological woman is the passage through with all human life comes into it. It's just so beautiful the way both of these work together and one cannot be the other. Right. And the design of it, the perfection, the, the detail with which it's designed is amazing. There's not yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> no. And when you think about, you know, the gift of the church, the passing on, you know, it's one holy Catholic and apostolic that this has gone on for 2000 years. And we've continued to pass on this, this gift of the priesthood in this very intimate way within the kingdom of the church that is in a profound role of a man you know when we talk about last you know last month she is priest prophet king yes but she will never be an ordained priest cuz that's just not the way god designed it and that's okay we don't have to do it all we're meant to be partners partners yeah and there's humility in partnership yeah. there has to be both sides Absolutely. He bears the ultimate responsibility for the initiation, protection, and promotion of God's love. Yeah. This is sort of the 
this is the bottom line, like the catch-all. This kind of sews it all together as initiator, protector, and provider. The initiation part is father, the protector. Um, you know, we read immediately in Genesis that God tells Adam and Eve, you know, I have filled the earth, subdue it. You know, you have dominion over the earth. And in partnership with one another, you have to, you know, have dominion, toil away and, and fill the earth and multiply it. You know, it's the nature of the father, the creator, to have provided his creation, his providence, making what was necessary for his children, Adam and Eve, to then flourish. It is the nature of a human father to provide what is necessary so that his family can flourish. Does that not mean that, you know, a, a woman doesn't participate in maybe a dual income family or whatever? You know, you're talking to two working women right now. Like, no, that, that doesn't mean that we don't participate in that. But the impetus is on the man, generally speaking, that's the way of the design. Because as a woman, we have so many gifts that have to be used in other ways that lead to the flourishing of the home in a very unique way, in a way that is designed perfectly. You know, and I just want to take a pause here. Yes, we know if you're listening and your household might look different. Yes, that's that's possible. And, and is God's love and, and providence working through you and with you and, and in you and, and bearing great fruit within your home? Yeah, you know, that's absolutely possible. It's beautiful. I, there's so many of my great friends who their circumstances look a little bit different and God bears fruit out of all of it. But we're talking about God's design overall. And his design overall is for a family to be a man and a woman in marriage, to have children, and to learn how to receive and share his love and then go off and, and share that with the world around them. And that's God's design. That's the ultimate. That's what we're working towards. Um, that's the family that Jesus Christ was born into. That's the family. That is the model that um, that is the building block of society. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're about to get super countercultural right here. You ready? He is first created before the woman. He is designed to fearlessly forge ahead as a protector and provider for his family. He leads because he has a divine gift to recognize the dignity of a woman's personhood, the sanctity of her God-given gift to bear life, and his responsibility to safeguard those gifts. Boom. There's not a whole lot to say. Read it again. Honestly, read it again. <laughs> okay. That's going to be the way we're going to unpack it. He is first created first. before the woman. He is designed to fearlessly forge ahead as a protector and provider for his family. He leads because he has a divine gift to recognize the dignity of a woman's personhood, the sanctity of her God-given gift to bear life, and his responsibility to safeguard those gifts. Mm, I love it. It speaks so perfectly to man's call to be entrusted to one another. 
and and just the um, logistics of what that looks like, right? right? You know, like when we talk about in, in our material, we talk about, okay, you know, human life is sacred. Human life has dignity. We're called into relationship with Christ. And we are are so sacred, the human person, that God protects us in a very special way. How does he protect us? Well, we look to the story of the Good Samaritan and we show that we have been entrusted to one another. His God's most precious creation, the human person, has been protected on this planet by entrusting each of us to one another. That's how God designed it. Okay, logistically, what does that look like? That's a great question. Here's the answer. And it is the this beautiful um, gift that man has been given to recognize the dignity of a woman. You know, JP2 says has that beautiful quote, it is the duty of every man to uphold the dignity of every woman. It's stunning. There's no apology necessary. There's no permission to say, you know, is this okay? Can I say, you know, there's no, that's what it is. You know, in a world where we're talking about gender confusion and all these other things, this flies in the face of it, but it is so stunningly beautiful and truthful and real. It speaks for itself. It's stunning. It is. Yeah. And, and, and it, once you, you know, cause God in his infinite wisdom does lay out the logistics of, okay, how, you know, you give us this, this idea that we're entrusted to one another, but it's not chaos. There is perfect order in the way that this should happen. And we talked about last week with spousal love that man wills the bridegroom wills the perfect good for his bride and the bride honors and wills the perfect good for her bridegroom. It's this mutual submission, this mutual love that doesn't fight for first place, that doesn't fight for the first step, that doesn't fight for recognition, that doesn't fight for pride of place. There's no room for that because it's this perfect it's this perfect design where the two interlocked so lovely that the human person, if you mess with it, actually breaks the perfection of how well they complement one another. So don't mess with what is not broken. That's it, right? Because, because we do. And, and then, you know, going we back meddle. to what we started with, we meddle. And then, you know, that's where we get these problems of toxic, quote unquote, masculinity. Um, because in our sin, are there men who do abuse their physical strength that are too much, that are bullies, that are aggressors? Absolutely. And they are wrong, but we don't throw away the baby with the bathwater, right? Right. That's it. Yeah. So we're going to unpack that more next week and I'm excited about it, but we kind of you know, I think we yeah. said a lot this, this month. This was so. an excellent place to start, I think. Um, yeah. And then and then going back to, to the quote, St. John the Baptist, as, as, you know, this week, take special care to pray for the men in your life, the little, the little ones, your little gentlemen that you're raising, um, your children, your, your sons, and any man in your community. Pray for them. Pray for your husbands. 
pray for your brothers, pray for your priests. They are supposed to walk this um, imitatio Christi, this imitation of Christ in a very specifically masculine way, but it takes grace. It takes the strength of the Holy Spirit and it takes the humility of saying, Lord, take me out of the equation, more of you, less of me. And to try and he do must that, decrease, yes. I must decrease. And to try and do that in today's culture, the struggle must be real. So hard. Yeah. So hard. So hard. I mean, it's the, it's kind of like the last, the last acceptable, this is probably going to be controversial to say, but the last quote unquote acceptable individual to chastise for being who they are would be a, a white male Christian. Unfortunately, that's where we're at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's sad. Well, that's it, my friends. We will dive deeper next week. But until then, you are in our prayers. Please keep us in yours.